Hey everyone, Adam here. Just doing a quick introduction before this episode, and we don't usually do this, but I wanted to focus in on a specific part of the conversation that's coming a little bit later. Now, as you'll hear, we had the opportunity to sit down with Melissa Van Pelt, who is an amazing customer education and enablement leader over at Seismic. And we had a great conversation with her, but towards the end, she makes uh, a certain comment about faking it until you make it. And we talk about it in the context of the episode, but I think this is a really important point for anyone listening who is thinking about growing their career in customer education, or perhaps in some cases rising through the ranks of a company. In the conversation, she's talking about the idea that she didn't necessarily come from a customer education background and how she had to learn customer success and then learn customer education, uh, learn community, I think, in the middle of that. And the way that she was able to take on this uh, increasing scope is not because she was a specialist in learning or customer marketing or product marketing or any of this, but because as her company kept building strategic programs, they trusted her as a leader who could commit to learning everything she needed to learn about that field to make it work. So the phrase she uses is fake it till you make it. And I think that's a phrase that cuts both ways because often when we think about something like that, we think, oh, you know, just just pretend you know what you're doing and, um, you know, then eventually you'll, you'll know what you're doing. And I don't think that's actually how it works in a lot of cases. Uh, the way that she uses the phrase fake it till you make it is really throw yourself in, start learning, commit, apply those skills, and then figure out how to fill in gaps until you're doing the thing, you know, quote unquote, the right way. So because Melissa works really hard to understand her customer's need, how her business works, that I think is how she's gotten the opportunities to continue to expand her scope. And frankly, it's what I see a lot of other leaders do who have continued to expand their scope within and even outside of, of customer education. Uh, it's, it's not about pretending you know everything. It's not about puffing up or posturing. Um, and frankly, I think as our field grows, you'll continue to see people who who choose to take that approach where they'll kind of like pretend they know what they're talking about, but they don't actually know. Uh, that's not the right kind of fake until you make it. I think the right kind of fake until you make it is exactly what we talk about in this episode where you really roll up your sleeves, you actively listen, you learn, and you take a, a fundamentally humble approach to learning about how to make this thing work at your business. And that's how you'll continue to get great opportunities as time goes on. So with that said, let's get into the episode. Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education laboratory where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate those myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in his tracks. Hello, everybody. I am Dave Darrington. And I'm Adam Evermescu, I hope. You hope. <laughs> One can always hope. One can always hope to be oneself. But uh, we could also hope to be today's very special guest, Melissa Van Pelt. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be on the show with you guys. This is one of those yeah. days we've been waiting for for a long time. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, we are so excited to have you on the show, Melissa. 
Thank you so much, you guys. I've been fans for for so long. I think you both know um, my story about cold calling Adam back in 2018 um, on LinkedIn when I was first putting together Uh our customer education program um, and trying to learn as much from the pioneers of the space as possible and, and create the best customer education program for a SaaS business. And so it's kind of just, you know, come full circle that I can be here today and chat with you guys. Yeah, that was so funny. Um, after you told me that you cold, cold called me on, on LinkedIn, I looked and I found it. And I found that first little conversation where I had, uh, I was I was shocked uh, <laughs> to see even that it was just a few years ago, um, because you know how much respect that we have for you in the space and all the expertise that you've acquired. And and I loved actually seeing that at the time you had said, hey, you know, I'm coming from customer success. Uh, I have community in my remit, um, adding customer education. I wanna soak it up. I wanna learn as much as possible. And gosh, like it, it hasn't been that long, Melissa. And I, I feel like you know it all. <laughs> never, never know, know it all. I'm a lifelong learner. I feel like there's always so much to learn and our space just continues to evolve and change and, and grow. So it's, it's super exciting. And the fact that we have so many um, awesome people, resources like yourselves um, and the customer education community and, and the books that have been put out by various you know, thought leaders in our space have been just instrumental in, in my success and, and ability to kind of learn this space and, and grow our program at Seismic. So just super special to be on the show with you guys today. That's awesome. So before we tee it up, you know, we, we forgot to do our thing we always do, our tradition here, Adam. Um, today is, what is it? Drum roll, please. National Dress Up Your Pet Day. <laughs> and you, you National know, Dress Up Your Pet Day? National Dress Up Your Pet Day. I know my, my animals don't like that. The kids do it all the time. Do you dress up your pet, Melissa? <laughs> well, I don't know if I want to admit this, but since you put me on the spot, I will. Um, I do have, we have two dogs, but one happens to be a teacup Yorkie and she has a pretty extensive wardrobe. So yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, okay. I, if I If I had a pet, I might dress them up. You might. And they don't like it. <laughs> Ours don't. Um, all right. Well, let's get into today. So uh, I I was thinking about this. So today, I think this is kind of special because one of the things that I I would say, I actually uh, mentioned your name today, um, just today or earlier this week, uh, Melissa, that as as someone who's doing a really exemplary job, bringing it all together, right? And the spirit of the discussion today was, okay, you do something, you're in a position that's really interesting. Tell, tell us what your title is, because I know you just recently like changed or upgraded. Um, <laughs> you got a lot under your belt, which for us as education people, I, you know, we're talking about getting a seat at the table. I like to think you're there. And uh-huh. it, it, that's really important. You, you are seated. You are seated at the table. So mentor us. We, we want to learn about your background. How did you get where you are today, and I know some of the story, and I think it's a really good one, but then we want to talk about things like this customer education plus advocacy plus community, this dynamic, the synergy you get by introducing and bringing together these sometimes roles that have had different home 
and then really talk about this hybridization, this crossover between like you're at Seismic. We think a lot about enablement, but you're also thinking about education. I've been a customer. I love your program. Um, what, my, maybe let's start off with that. What, how did you get to where you are today? What's your role? And what, we'll learn more. Yeah, sure. Um, so my current role um, or, you know, title, I, I'm never huge on titles, but um, as the vice president of edu customer education, community and advocacy. Um, so I lead the teams that own the programs um, for our customer education path, our community offering, and our advocacy program, which is is wow. what you're referring to in terms of my recent increase in scope. That's that's a new program that we brought into our our portfolio. So, um, oh, wow. you know, I, I think that this is is important as the you know the market becomes so laser focused on customer experience, right? And that's a, it's a, it's a buzzword that everyone is throwing around these days. But, you know, big picture, you know, my North Star perspective, what we're trying to do at Seismic um, and with my programs is put together, you know, a tightly integrated portfolio of programs mm -hmm. that orchestrates a very natural progression of learning and engagement opportunities for our customers along their journey with us. So, you know, at a at a high level, we are responsible for fully understanding the, the learning and engagement needs of our customers and addressing those needs through unified programs that, you know, ultimately enable our customer success. And so if we can if we can do that really well, then, you know, hopefully we would be creating competent customers, confident customers who are driving success at their own organizations with our technology and, and become raving fans of Seismic. So you can kind of see that natural progression. And, you know, I've been I've been super fortunate because I've grown at Seismic over the last six years where I started as a customer success manager at a time mm -hmm. where our company was still rather, you know, rather small. I think we may have been a hundred, a hundred people at that point. Um, and so customer success managers wear, wore multiple hats, right? So we, we weren't just account managers and renewal managers and project managers. We were, we also mm -hmm. did implementation and we didn't at that time, I think, have a dedicated implementation team. So we were very hands-on with the customer. We were working with the product organization to bubble up product feedback. So we were doing a lot of things. That put me in a really, really good position to understand our customers their use cases, their learning needs, the way they wanted to engage with our business, um, and set me up and, and you know, coupled with a, a prior position at a former company in MedDevice, which was in a training capacity. So coupled that experience with this experience, it put me in a really good position to focus on customer-facing programs that enable our customers' success. Oh, I love it. So you came in from customers. I, I think that's really important because we're thinking we're seeing a lot of different openings now for higher and higher level positions in education for SaaS companies. And that I 
I'm always when I was thinking, I was talking to somebody that had a, such a role, and I was thinking about your background and your trajectory, and the fact that you came in with that customer success understanding, the understanding of what the customer is all about, and that post sales journey, and the understanding of all these different pieces. So you came in with like kind of a natural, uh, high level look and feel like, well, this is where we need to go, and and then you you proceeded to build it up, and now you kind of own several different competencies. So that journey, I, I don't think that could have been easy <laughs> to bring it all together, <laughs> which is why probably Cole called uh, Adam here. And what, I mean, what was the spirit of that first call when you called? Like, because I remember you talking about, I was a sponge. I was soaking all this up. I'm calling, trying to figure it all out. You already knew the CS part, but now it's like, how do we teach people? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So um, at that point in time, I had just, you know, in 2017, we had launched the Seismic Community. And so that was kind of our first step into a more scalable, you know, customer facing support program for our customers to kind of expand their knowledge and, and reach into Seismic and to other customers. And so when I reached out to Adam, I was just starting to build our strategy for the customer education program. We had just gotten a formal investment in a program, a dedicated program, right? I had been doing training for Seismic and, you know, informally, but at that point it was a, a formal charter. And yeah. so I started scouring the internet and more specifically LinkedIn for, <laughs> you know, people that were in positions in SaaS businesses and customer education and I stumbled upon a lot of blogs that Adam had written and I started reading all his blogs. And then um, I stumbled upon Bill Kishard's maturity model for yep. customer education in SaaS, right? And so it was like perfect because that actually became somewhat of a loose blueprint for me at that oh. time to say, this is what we need to do. And this is kind of our roadmap at a high level. Um and so, and then when I reached out to Adam, I just kind of wanted to connect with him and pick his brain on kind of our org, my org structure and, and resource model. And um, that's when he had said, look, there's a great community, customer education community. You should join that. And so <laughs> from there- Melissa, I, I, think, I think I was trying to give you an end-to-end -end customer experience. I was like, <laughs> I, well, I can answer your question directly, but did you know that there's also this whole community of practitioners out there? Yeah. Yeah, he stiff he stiff armed me. <laughs> <laughs> he was traveling and, and couldn't talk to me. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, I would no, like to think that you're much better equipped from having met a whole network of professionals than from just having talked to me. Yeah, it was, and that's the that's the value of community for customers too, right? It really, really is, and and it's and the customer education community is just amazing. I mean, I just I the how engaged and active that community, our community is, is just um, super powerful. And then, of course, you know, I, I I've told you guys this, but I have listened to every single one of your C Lab podcasts, <laughs> and I, I love the show. And I actually, I, you know, I think it's so funny. You guys have great humor, and it's interesting, and you bring on great people. Um, I've read books and. You know, I read Adam's book, which was another huge, um, yep. helpful uh, resource for me. So, so yeah, so that's that's kind of how it it started back in 2018, and and being the the company that Seismic is, a really high growth company, we did move really really fast from, mm -hmm. from in our customer education program. We went from zero to 100 pretty quickly. Um, 
And it's been interesting. It's been interesting to reflect and look back on kind of how we matured and actually even more interesting how we've had to take steps back in maturity as we've acquired other companies, you know, added different products, added different SKUs to our product. Um, so yeah, it's been quite a, quite a whirlwind, super exciting. I, I love this stuff um, and building and, and growing things is a passion of mine. So um, yeah. That's amazing. Um I, you know, I, I don't know if you, you have questions that uh, you could start, but I, I know a question I'd like to start with. I also just go ahead for it. It's so in your role, you've got three different hats to wear all under one hat. And like, what are the things that you're really finding that, like, as you talked about a few things, you're, you're getting loyal customers, they feel supported, you're developing advocates. And that's that whole customer advocacy thing I've always felt like has been a marketing gig. And it's more like, oh, do you love the product? Oh, I'm going to do a little thing with you. It's not like, well, how do I develop that person in the first place? Is that what your like one of your charters is to say, okay, well, I educate. I want to build. You've got the outcome, but then you've got that community layer. That that's a lot going on. Like, how does this fabric work together? Yeah, I mean, I think if you think about you know, the natural progression of a customer, you know, let's mm -hmm. just start at post-sale. Okay. I, I understand that the, it starts pre-sale, but let's just start post-sale and you think about, okay, well, this is how we are preparing them for implementation with some education to, you know, get them ready. And then during onboarding, they're learning through the educational products that we've developed, like the courses on seismic university and yeah. academy, you know, we're trying to drive performance and, and platform proficiency and ultimately you know, a best practice implementation of seismic. Right. Yeah, so exactly. you think, okay, so that's where the education piece is, a big part for us. And then you think, okay, so now implementation is, is done the initial implementation and the customer launches and they're starting to realize value from the platform and they're seeing success with adoption. Hopefully this is all in a perfect world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, they're achieving their own business object. Then ideally they start to become involved with our community of, of practitioners and giving and getting support within the community and, and joining special interest groups and user groups and, you know, engaging in our blogs and events, right? So they're right there, we're driving deeper customer relationships through these additional engagement opportunities that we're, we're presenting them in this progression. And so ultimately, right, we are hoping that those that are feeling supported and connected and engaged with us every step of the way through their learning journey, through their community participation, they become loyal to our brand, right? They're having a great experience. They um, are, you know, passionate about their success and sharing that. So advocacy, you know, then becomes somewhat organic, we would hope, right? And yeah. our advocate pool becomes larger and, and the burden of securing advocates becomes becomes lighter and and then there you go we've we've done our job or contributed to supporting you know scale growth of the business yeah i i think you know it's really interesting how they all fit together because you're right like you you're telling this this story of how these 
functions really enhance one another and why um, in a lot of ways it makes sense for these kind of to, to be housed in one place, although we know that everyone takes a, a slightly different point of view and what's what's in their customer education portfolio. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about like what are some of the the key metrics that that you associate with each of these programs and and how do you how do you report on on all those different pieces of your portfolio? Yeah, I think it's um, each one is is has you know their dedicated metrics. Um, the data I love when you guys bring up the data because data is so so important to understand yeah. if yeah. we are doing an effective job and are things working. Um, but let's just start you know with education, right? So when we start to think about what we're trying to do with education, well, for one, we're we're trying to drive a best practice implementation and product adoption. So are our customers using the product in a best best practice way? Are they gaining success and are they renewing, right? Are they, Mm -hmm. are we retaining these customers and are they renewing with us? So um, obviously, you know, we don't have direct control over that, but we can start to draw some assumptions around they're taking our courses or they're engaged with our community and their sentiment score is A, you know, A or B versus those that aren't engaging with us aren't learning and their sentiment scores might be lower or they may have churned or something like that, right? So we, we do look at stuff like that. We look at, are they taking courses and are our specific features turned on? Or are they interested in purchasing additional products if they've taken courses? So we start to look at those type of, of metrics. Um, you know, community is an interesting one because um, initially when we launched community, it was primarily a a support community and we've really started to expand that use case to be more of a um uh you know user user groups and industry information and event information beyond just your 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 primary support but so initially the reason why i bring that up is we would look at you know, our customers that are engaging in community, do they have less support tickets? Um, Our customers that have taken courses and are certified, are they answering more questions in community and start to look at at metrics Mm. like that? Um, So those are some of the metrics around education and community. Um, In terms of you know, advocacy, this program is is brand new. Um, we just, I mean, right before I left on maternity leave, which I'm back this week from. Um, Congrats, welcome just back. Just launching the program. <laughs> Sorry. I said, welcome back. That's a, now, now you're launching it and you're thinking about, okay, now we're going to do this whole new advocacy thing. So what are the, what are the key indicators that say advocacy is working? Are you looking at like organic impressions of people posting on LinkedIn or social, social media? Yeah, so we, um, the advocacy program is, is multidimensional in, in, in uh, perspe- the, the perspective of we also within advocacy. So I'll take us back a step. Yeah. We believe that if we put the right programs in place for our customers with advocacy, um, where they are joining user, where we have user groups for them, where we have product feedback sessions for them, where we may, may have a, an advisory board. Um, we are highlighting their successes at conferences for them and connecting them with peers, right? Then um, 
they're they're going to want to partner with us more on additional things like um, sales reference calls. That's just a perfect example, right? So yeah. they're doing all these activities. They become great to talk to prospective customers. So we may want to look at you know what percent of our advocates are um, contributing to a deal win loss, right? Are they involved wow. and have they influenced deals for p- prospective customers? That's a good. That's one. cool. That's really um, interesting. We, yeah. we like to look at, you know, what, which programs that we put in front of them, they are participating. Are they coming to the town halls with the executives? Are they per- participating in the user groups and meetups? Do they want to speak? Are they interested in us, you know, highlighting and, and spotlighting their successes with Seismic, um, things like that. And so we do for them, for those situations too, we do also look at, okay, these are, these are our advocates. This is how they're engaging with us. What, how is their account health? That's another important metric we look at, tying kind of engagement in these programs to account health. Um, so yeah. Wow. Yeah, it, it's, it sounds like there's a lot of correlation analysis that you're doing and, and connecting different systems. I, I am super curious just because advocacy, um, that's not one where I've tried to do that sort of reporting before. Do you have to have all of your systems uh, you know, piping in through a CRM or data warehouse to track this? Is this something that you're getting through an advocacy platform like Influitive? Like how how do you actually um, do these sorts of analysis? Or is it all in spreadsheets? <laughs> like how, yeah. how are you doing with those sorts of, uh, uh, yeah, analyses? Yeah, so we are actually um, underway in an implementation of Reference Edge in our Salesforce environment, and we will integrate with Salesforce and Gainsight. Um, and so the data will be collected there. The, you know, it's... The data cleanliness is everything. Um, and we're going through that process right now of cleaning up our data in our, yeah. our environments because the, the tools that we implement to manage these programs are only as good as the data is, mm-hmm. really. So yeah. we have- Garbage in, garbage of, out. Yeah, exactly. So we have a little bit, right now, we have a little bit of, you know, implementation prep work to do um, to implement reference edge to start tracking everything in regarding advocacy. Um, but, you know, to your to your point, yes, we have been managing it in spreadsheets historically, which is not <laughs> a very efficient or effective way to manage the advocacy. Well, that's where a lot of us start. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's where we start. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So you have a super big scope. I love how all of these things tie together. I love that you have so many metrics and ways of looking at the impact of your programs. Um, there's, there's like two directions that I want to go in. So maybe I'll ask you these in, in sequence. Um, I guess the first question that I have is like when you're, when you're talking to your customers or your executives or, or the board, um, how do you tie all of these together in a really succinct way, or or how do you kind of make sure that that in some ways these feel like a like a unified program and not uh, you know a series of functions, or or do you? That's the goal. Um, I think we have some maturing to do to get there, where you know we that we are providing a superior, highly engaging and differentiated you know customer experience, and it's smooth and it feels seamless and it feels coordinated, and the customer is just you know overly um, satisfied and pleased, right? But yeah. you know. 
there's a maturity <laughs> path that we have to follow. And so we're trying to get there. Um, we do, we do um, really try to just in terms like, for instance, integrating the systems, right? So community and our LMS system, our, you know, Seismic University, you know, we have, um, we do our best to make those digital assets feel consistent and feel branded the same way. And part of our brand, we try to provide easy access for customers to go from one to the next. Um, you know, advocacy, again, it's it's brand new. So there's a lot that we're putting in place, especially when it comes to trying to showcase this portfolio of programs as a real um, or you know, coordinated um, program when it comes to our customer conference that will be coming up um, in a few months. So we, we've got a ways to go, but um, we're focused on getting there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I love, I love that you went there, Melissa, because I think a lot of the time, so, okay, like people are, people are probably looking at you and, and saying, you know, she's a VP. I want to be a VP. I want to have that level of scope. I want to have all these programs um, and, and might feel that to get to that level or to like succeed at that level, you have to have everything buttoned up and completely figured out and like all your narratives in place and all your marketing polished and all the programs tied together. And like what I'm hearing from you is you got some of that, but a lot of it is still work in progress. And a lot of it is just de facto, like a constant refining of these things as you you grow and as you learn more and like i can say i'm not a vp but like from from my point of view managing several programs i feel like our programs are always in flux as well and a lot of the time someone asks me well hey how do you think about this or how do you tie these things together and i'm like well we try we're just trying our best right and that's kind of what you said and i really i, I like that i i because I really do think it's easy, like the higher you go in an organization and the more scope you take on, the easier it is to feel that imposter syndrome, but not necessarily having all of those answers buttoned up. Yeah, I, I definitely am one of those leaders that um, does not pretend to have all the answers. I, I ask a lot of questions. I'm hungry to always learn and, and iterate. Um, it, we, we had to pivot several times, right, um, on certain things that we were a priority at one point, and then all of a sudden, they're not that much of a priority in the present um, moment that you're facing. And, and that's SAS, right? And that's high-growth yeah. SAS. Um, but yeah, yeah I am... Um, there's a lot to bite off and there's a lot you can do. And I know we talk about this a lot in our community, but you know, you want to do it all. And oftentimes if you try to do it all, all the things you might not do all the things exceptionally well. So I think it's trying to pick some things that we can really mature, especially this year, as I'm yeah. looking ahead, like this is where we really, this is where we're going to have the biggest impact for the business and yeah. for our customers and their experience and their success. And let's, let's do this and focus on this really well. Um, I think that's important because one, that's, you know, there's a lot in customer education, but when you do start to increase your scope, it does become there's a lot of bloat <laughs> that is yeah. Yeah. Uh, in there um, that you have to kind of weed through and, and get down to the, the heart of it. 
Yeah. One, one thing that, uh, you know, a, a manager that I had once on a customer training team, and I, I thought this was really good advice. One thing she said was, you know, kill things publicly. Um, and I think that's to your point, like that's the way to combat bloat. And I totally agree, especially when you're growing quickly and you're trying out different hypotheses and you're experimenting with things, you are going to end up with some legacy programs or some bloat that it takes a while to actually get rid of. And I think the more you can normalize killing things that either aren't working or have outlived their usefulness, all the better. Yeah. But the other thing that I hear in what you're saying, this is this is actually a concept that I learned from these consultants that are called the Vega Factor. Mm-hmm. And um, they have kind of an analogy for progress, not perfection. And they call it the sketchy baby. Um, and so my team makes fun of me for saying sketchy baby all the time, even though <laughs> I totally didn't make that up. I'm, I'm taking it from these people, the Vega Factor. And, and the analogy is that, uh, let's say you're trying to like paint a portrait of this baby. Well, do you start by like painting the corner and putting all the colors in and getting that right? Uh, and then the rest of the painting is completely unfinished. Or do you like sketch the baby first so you can see the face the baby is making and, uh, you know, give yourself enough room to at least like show what you're trying to depict uh, before you start filling in all the color and painting it and getting it in higher fidelity because you never know when you're going to have to drop the, the pencil or the, the paintbrush. So that's kind of like the concept of the, the sketchy baby or in some ways, maybe like an MVP, not you MVP, but a minimum viable product MVP. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that analogy. I, I always tell my teams like, let's not let perfect be the enemy of good um, because if we focus too hard on getting everything perfect, we know that <laughs> the, 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 the dime could, could be um, tossed and we're going to be pivoting in a different direction and we've spent all that time being perfect. Now that's hard. I'm a, I'm a perfectionist at heart, so that, that's hard. But you learn pretty quickly in a in a SaaS, high growth SaaS company, yeah. you just can't, you can't, you can't operate like that. Um, and I, I'm, perfect. Yeah. There's no time for perfect. Yeah. But can, can I jump in on that? I, because I, I want to live, I want to own the, or have this moment, have space because this is a, one of the resonant themes in, in our SaaS. I'm, I'm, I'm using the term SaaS education more generally encompass ed- enablement too, because I think that is such an ingrained thing in most of us because like I'll go back when I was teaching at university, you know, one thing I did with my students, I, I changed my entire class and I got rid of grades per se. And I did this more of a, you're earning points as we go along. It was really dis, it, like disorienting at first. And then the students were like, well, this is liberating. You're not, you're not thinking about the same things. Like normally you think, okay, let's imagine I have a thousand points in a semester in a course, right? It's very punitive the way we teach. Because you're gonna, unless you're perfect, unless, and then we strive for that because I'm looking to get 100%. I wanna be 100%. But then we start chipping away at that. So perfection is aspirational. And in SAS, we're moving at the speed of light. And that the, the thing that I try to, and I've had this conversation, I had to beat it out of me. I had to, to help my instructional designers to understand this. And a lot of times it never got there completely. Like, well, I really wanna fix this. I want the, Get it out the door, ship it. But it's not go. We don't have time for that. You do later, right? Like say I IPO'd or I'm two years out of that. I have time to really build educational services. 
But I just want to bring space and attention to that point that perfect is the enemy of done. And it, and it combats what we're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, the shelf life, shelf life for, for education in, in SAS is, is very, very short, right? So if you spend yeah. all that time, more time um, working on something, then it, it's, it's available for customers or it's current for customers, then you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, and like high, high quality doesn't necessarily mean high production value. Yeah. Like you want to be nimble, you want to iterate. And and so this takes me, this was the second question I was going to ask earlier, sort of, but I'm going to pivot it a little bit because of the conversation we're having right now. Like, I'm curious with your scope, right? You've got these different um, teams, these different functions, you've got a limited number of resources, you've got a bunch of customer needs. Um, how do you make decisions about where to prioritize across these functions and and kind of where to spend your time and and get a little bit more uh, into the weeds or high level. I'm just super curious how you manage the level of scope. I mean, a lot of my my prioritization is dictated by the business, really. The, the business objectives, what's important to the business, what's important to our CEO and our chief customer officer who I report into, the product organization, right? What products are the sticky products that are going to drive adoption and customers to realize maximum value of our product, right? And so you you kind of start there and then you work your way out. Um, You know, I'll give you a, I'll give you a good example um, how, how things can change pretty quickly. Last year, localization, internationalization was a big priority um, for us because, you know, we were expanding rapidly in the international markets. And so, you know, one of my big focuses was to prepare my education org to localize content. And that was a massive Mm -hmm. lift. Um, There's a lot, as you guys both know, Mm -hmm. a lot that goes into that. Well, um, about six months into that, our product through acquisitions and through um, some strategic product decisions we made, began going through a massive transformation. Now, that would not make sense for us at that point to continue to move forward with localizing and translating all of our content in current state, because we would just have to go through that process again in six months. Yeah. So that's a perfect example where the business is saying this is one priority, but things could change pretty quickly. Um, so it's the constant checking in for me. It's constant checking in with you know, our executive team on what the priorities are, what's most important. It's knowing, you know, our staying really, really in touch with our product, the best practice use cases, knowing what's the, the sticky feature functionalities are for our customers. Um, a lot, a lot of listening for me. I, I think yeah. that's one of my strengths is listening, interpreting, and then being able to make decisions that really align to, to leadership's vision. That's our job. Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think like that's like your, your vision has to cascade from, from the business needs. Obviously there's a, it's like aligning the business needs with education, best practices and, innovation within our field. Cause that's why, you know, businesses hire people at, at your level to like help craft a, a vision that's rooted in your craft, but also is solving business problems. Right. I mean, I'd love to sit here and say, you know what, every decision I make is data driven. <laughs> it's 
all objective <laughs> and I, I get it from how, how, what customers are finding, you know, most valuable. It can't so be. So it can't be. It just can't. It can't be. Yeah. No, it can't, it can't be. <laughs> data, data informed. I'm a big fan these days of saying data informed, not data driven. That's a good that's a good discrimination too between it because inform is means you're not completely beholden to it, but you're you're definitely using it. Right. You want data to be able to answer key questions. You want data to be able to guide you in making important decisions where you know you're going to have that data. Or right, like like you know, we always talk about like discovery and value matrices. So you want to be able to measure those two things wherever possible so you can make decisions about what to maintain. Or what to repurpose, or what to kill publicly, uh, but you're going to be asked a bunch of questions that require data that you don't have. So, what are you going to do? You use the data that you do have as proxies, or you make the most logical decision in 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 spite of it. So, I don't know. I I agree with you, Melissa. Like, I think you you have to have some of your vision that really ties to like where do I see the business going, and let me be decisive about that versus really listening to your data to make every single decision, you're going to get uh, analysis paralysis. Right. You know, if, if they came to me and said, you know, um, revenue from your org is super important, right? I would, I would probably, find, I would focus my attention on our fee-based offering. And, um, but that's not the case. But, you know, if they came to me and said, you know, your biggest priority is, um, decreasing the time it takes to onboard, you know, faster time to value, right? Then yeah. I would make decisions around the content that we have that supports onboarding and how to get a customer realizing value yeah. super quick. So it's those type of things that you, you listen and you make your decisions. And if you know, you know, your team, your resources, and you have a good strategy in place, you can execute pretty well. And is it, do they, do they say it to you that directly? Like, this is the thing that we're expecting out of you, or this is the thing that's most important to us? Or is it like you're listening to, the overall company strategies for the year and looking at the macro level and then saying, okay, this is what I've heard over and over. I think this is the area that, that you want me to focus. Like, tell me if I'm right or wrong. Yeah. The latter. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I think, I think sometimes it's hard, right. When you're like, you, you want someone to just like hand you the strategy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I think you learn pretty quickly as you kind of grow up and grow up into higher leadership levels that um, your management is going to expect you not to look for <laughs> them to define your strategy. You have to listen and, and go to them and just vet it, vet your strategy, you know, come to them with solutions more than, you know, questions and needs. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's a hard lesson for a lot of folks. I mean, like, I think what if I were to reflect on what you're saying here today and, you know, the fact that you're in a VP level role is really interesting to me because a lot of people, I was talking with somebody just today that, you know, she was talking about where she's at now and where she wants to go. And, and actually we were talking about you. <laughs> I say, um, Melissa is one of the people that I respect and I, I, I show is a really good example of like it, it just what we've talked about here. You have this integrative approach to advocacy, engagement, and education all in one. You get to see that. But you know what a lot of people lament getting into customer education, and I've been in this in certain positions where I didn't have that really strong tie-in to executive leadership. Like, what do you really want? I'd had to force that. And, and as your companies grow, it gets harder. So you're in the right place, and that's kind of aspirational for folks in our field. You know, we're not necessarily talking about chief learning officer, but the role that you have in the position you have bringing and integrating these things together allows you more field to play 
and say, I can, okay, now we're going to pivot more towards community right now. Now you've basically got all of these things at your disposal to help you out. That's, that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. So, so that, that kind of takes us towards, there's another topic, Dave, that you mentioned up up top that we wanted to talk to, Uh, you know, seismic being an enablement company and, and Melissa for you kind of thinking about how enablement and education relate to each other. So I'd, I'd be really curious. And, and Dave, it sounded like you were too, just to kind of hear how you think about that relationship and, and how, how those pieces fit into the puzzle. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think we, we see a lot of people these days kind of using enablement and education interchangeably. And I would, I would argue that um, they're different. <laughs> uh, yeah. enablement, what's, what's, what's the, yeah. What's the difference? Cause yeah, like they, so, they sound like the same thing. Right. Um, in short, enablement is multidimensional. Education is just one piece of an enablement function. Okay. So a, a well-rounded enablement program has multiple components to that program, which, which in- includes an education or a skill mm-hmm. development coaching component in addition to, you know, teams or resources that are dedicated to content, you know, marketing materials, um, a team dedicated to communication, um, an act, an ongoing and active data-driven or, you know, to your point, you know, data-informed feedback loop to know what's working and effectively and, and what might be missing the mark. And these are all coordinated um, and integrated efforts, right, with different yeah. different teams specialized in, in different capabilities, like, like a learning team or a, a comms team or your marketing team, right? They're under one roof. Um, they're seamlessly integrated under one central organization, and they're focused on driving performance and results. And so, you know, I would caution people to think that, you know, enablement is education and education is enablement. Good. So like, should, should we be calling our teams? And you know, you know that like, I'm, I'm saying this through gritted teeth. Should we be calling <laughs> ourselves like customer enablement teams instead of customer education? If we want to take on broader scope. That's what I was going to say. I would not, I would not, and this is my, my point of view, tell a customer education team that is pure play, the the learning team to call themselves customer enablement, unless they have taken on those other capabilities and specializations Mm. that, you know, and, and let me just say, again, I'll, I'll, I'll caveat this with, um, there's a maturity for every organization, right? So you got to start somewhere. But I think if we are honestly talking about an enablement program um, and you want to coin the team, the enablement team, there's got to be, it's got to be multifaceted. Yeah. And those, and those facets you said are, it's, it's like what we consider the education function, which includes you know, all the subcategories of that, like often we put knowledge in there, we put um, academies in there, we put live training in there, ILT, all that good stuff. But then also you said having like content. Right. Yeah. I would think about like customer marketing, right? mm -hmm. Customer marketing is creating a lot of content for customers. Um, uh, Customer comms team, sometimes that's one and the same, but Mm -hmm. um, 
but you get where I'm going um, with yeah. that. So, so you've got like basically like delivery content comms and then like ops and data right. that to you together is kind of like a holistic enablement, whether it's like internal enablement or sales enablement or customer enablement, like they've, they've got to have like those different functions to them to be successful. Exactly. Like, so I'll put my, I'll put my seismic hat on for, for a minute. So, right. Yeah. The, uh, an enablement, revenue enablement, right. We have a revenue enablement team. Well, within this function, you know, they're responsible for onboarding new sales reps quickly and keeping experienced sellers competent in new, in new products and updates. You know, there's res- resources responsible for, you know, providing content with the right contacts of when to use content and for what audience or selling situation. And that content can be personalized for different scenarios. There's resources that are dispersing information to keep sellers informed, maybe maybe about the market or industry news, et cetera. And then they're using technology to measure and determine, you know, what's working effective and where do they need to where do they need maybe a turn of the crank, right? So that's a great, you know, enablement program with all these different um, areas of specialty that are, are are enabling the sellers to be effective in their roles and do what they need to do, right? To align to that business objective of driving new new revenue or driving driving new leads. And you could say the same thing, just like you mentioned, uh, on the flip side for customer enablement, right? Um, it's it's kind of creating that seamless and managed customer experience across an ecosystem of specialized mm-hmm. resources that support our customers. Um, so that's kind yeah. of my, my pitch on it's a on really good way to education. really good way to 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 talk about that. And I think what you're saying is that. Well, like something I could add in here is that I've always had an interesting relationship with enablement teams. Sometimes I integrate more, sometimes integrate less, but it's really important to think about the entire arc internally too. And I've always been kind of dumbfounded sometimes to say, hey, you know, I built all this great content for training. Why aren't you using it internally? And sometimes like, well, you know, but then you come around and go, oh my gosh, no, I don't have to build that. But and so I feel like enablement and, and and you know like customer education role when it comes to enablement can be kind of like a help, like we, we can help each other because I like ideally if I were to paint a picture of you know developing like going quarter to quarter, getting the updates, getting new product stuff, it's a handoff to of, with a bunch of different people to like elicit and understand that. But we have to do that as a partnership too, like an yeah. enablement. We team. we have a we have a really old episode about this, Dave. I think we do. it's the sharing with others episode. Uh huh. Don't we talk about this? Yeah, I think we talked about this then, but it's still top of mind for me. Like I, I yeah, I, I, yeah, why, it's like why, constant. Yeah, one of the reasons I really want to talk to you because you you've kind of subsumed several different really good related functions, and where I see things going down the road is, you know, I've mentioned, you know, it'd be really cool to have a education czar or a committee or a council inside a com- growing company that helps to orchestrate and get all these knowledge streams together because you know, I was saying this on a call with somebody from a consultant yesterday about how we're kind of cultural anthropologists working internally to understand what our company's mission is, how we, how we capture that knowledge to do the things that we do. And one of the things that are underlying all that is like what, hey, I said this to somebody on a podcast recently, hey, you're going to Napa, with a company SKO, everybody's on the bus, it gets hit and everybody's gone. 
except for maybe the CEO and one other person. Like, what happens to all that knowledge? This is where we have to work with others fluidly in that multidimensional thing. How do we share all this knowledge? You know, I like I like the seismic platform because it offered a lot of interesting ways to like surface and share that information and get to it and get it to my customers. And maybe you can reflect on that a little bit. Like, should we be aspiring to integrate more with these teams or are they okay being where they're at? Yeah, I think the relationship and the um the cross cross functional collaboration is is super important um, to get it right. And I think that um you know, in an ideal world, it would be amazing if there was like an education center of excellence, right? That, yes, um, yeah, that that supported, you know, on the sales side and the the post, like the external and internal, right? But there's there's a lot of content that could be repurposed <laughs> and, and used. Yeah, some sometimes you at least end up with like a committee. Like I've done this before, where you've got basically all the different education or enablement teams within your company. You've got customer education, you've got sales or revenue enablement, mm -hmm. you've got L&D in there sometimes, um, at least to sync on what are some of the big top of mind areas where we can work together or we can repurpose. And that's often how you end up with things like, uh, like revenue enablement, repurposing customer education materials, like especially like certifications and things like that as part of uh, the way to enable the team because now you've got all of your product knowledge and best practices in one place. You don't have to recreate that wheel. Yeah. And then on the flip side, often in customer education, you might end up taking uh, some of the enablement materials that they've prepared for the internal teams and actually using that as subject matter expertise to eventually produce customer facing materials, especially when it's more about like methodology and, and like best practices around going to market versus like pure product knowledge. Well, often the enablement team has already done a lot of that work and thought about the positioning yeah. and all of that already. So that's like one or two fewer SMEs that you might end up needing to interact with. And we know that SME time is always at a premium when you're developing right. content. Absolutely. Exactly. All right. Well, um, you know, we are coming up in about an hour, honestly. We thought we were going to be shorter than that, but it always seems to go longer. Any other final parting discussion points we want to want to tackle before we ease on out of this episode. What do we think? We've, we've hit a lot. This is a juicy one because <laughs> it, you know, we're talking about this integration with all different stuff, different advocacy is a, is a new one that we haven't really covered before. So I'm super excited about that. Anything? Any okay. Other? I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot, I'm going to shoot a shot out here. And then, but Melissa, if you have other, other topics or, or advice that you'd like to give. Yeah. Think our listeners would be into it. I, I think the one question that I would ask is like, and perfectly okay if there's not a straightforward answer to this, is like, if anyone out there is saying, hey, I want to be a VP of education or a VP of enablement, and I want to have that that scope um, in the organization, like regardless of whether titles matter, like scope matters and that influence matters, like what advice would you give to someone who who maybe has an eye on doing that sort of thing in their career path? Yeah. Um, I think that for me, from my experience, the reason why I've been able to grow as much as I have and as fast as I have is a, is a few things. One, I have been 
so hungry to really understand these different, these different spaces, right? I, I didn't yeah. have mm-hmm. a a strong background in customer education, but I did everything that I could. I clawed my way relentlessly to find out everything that I could <laughs> to, to absorb and learn this space. I did not have a customer marketing background where advocacy um, typically sits, right? What did I do? I joined customer marketing communities. I talked to customer marketing vendors. I um, talked to other professionals at, you know, organizations that I had contacts at who were, had been doing it before. So it's about learning. It's about somewhat throwing caution to the wind, right? We talk yeah. about imposter syndrome. It's really easy for people to fall into that trap. But I would argue sometimes you have to, um, <laughs> sometimes you need to fake it bef- t- till you make it, really. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if that's the right analogy to say, but sometimes you just have to... Um, dive into something, roll up your sleeve and get into the weeds. I will say that every level that I have um, stepped into, I have never really taken myself and maybe my leadership would argue this is a a fault of mine, but I've never taken myself out of the trenches. I'm always in the trenches with my teams, learning and growing and thinking and strategizing and collaborating because I feel like that's how one, you can become a better leader and that's how you continue to evolve and keep a pulse on your program and the needs yeah. and, and how to grow it and make it better. So I would say to people that are hesitant, you know, dive, dive in. There's, there's nothing that's above you. If you put your mind to it, you can do it. Um, it's, it might be harder for you if you've never done it before. It might take more time <laughs> and might more investment, but then you do it and you learn, right? And you can take that yeah. experience to the next company that you go to. Um, yeah. But you know, like when, when you say fake it till you make it, um, like I know you hesitate even about using that phrase. Like I, I here's how I interpret that and, and tell me tell me what you think. Because like it sounded like the distinction you were making in some ways is there are people who fake it till they make it, quote unquote. And what they're actually doing is they're trying to kind of like wallpaper over their, their vulnerability or they're being like performatively vulnerable at best. And so fake it till you make it for a lot of people means like, I'm just going to pretend like I'm an expert. And in doing so, I'm not going to open myself up to be curious or, or honest about the things that I don't know and how I can go learn them. And that's not what I've seen you do. And it's not what I think you're describing in terms of your path. Like you've actually been very straightforward about what you don't know and what you want to learn. And like what, what you what you call fake it till you make it, I almost think of as like you you start acting and then you learn from that action. And like, look, I'm, I'm thinking now about the like Brad Stolberg performance coaching stuff that D, D from our previous episode actually shared with me. Um, what the science says is like mood follows action. So once you start doing something, and if you do it with intellectual humility, um, then you will start to learn and apply yourself instead of just sitting there protecting your ego. Wow, that's it. That, that that's exactly <laughs> yeah. You like I said, fake it till you make it is not a good way to describe what I was talking about. You hit the nail on the head. That's ex- exactly what I mean. Um, I think you know. If you can listen to 
what your business is telling you and you pay attention and you understand kind of the general strategy and then you can dive in to pick apart the tactical execution pieces that need to happen and you learn and you want to grow and you want to stretch yourself, then you can be successful in moving into new roles. But to your point, you have to be open to it. You can't fake knowing everything. I'm always the first one to raise my hand and say, I don't know that, but I will find it out and I will perfect my skill in that. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's more valuable than thought leadership any, any day of the week. Yeah. We love that. This, those are, this is a great way to end an episode. Those are real gems, real good advice. I think all everybody and so many people we talk to this, they want to go and evolve their careers and expand and learn and grow. And most of them have share your DNA. You know, like we need to stay open. We need to stay transparent. And that's actually fun too, because when you have that transparency and you're more facilitating the act of this journey and taking people along with you to learn, it's so much more fun than saying, oh, I know everything and then having to suffer for that. So this w- wonderful sage advice from one of our favorite people. Oh. You well, guys are with- my favorites too. Yay. <laughs> the club. Yay. Well, uh, it's a love fest. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we're here for. We're like The other thing I'll say is that one other thing I really like what you said is that you're not afraid to find the others. And that's really what we're doing here is we're trying to bring voices like yours out because you're doing the hard work. We're all doing the hard work. We're in the trench every day. So if uh, any of you out there are listening and you're new to the market, introduce yourself. Let us know. Sign the manifesto. Get in the community. Get out there and chat. Let's let's talk. Get on LinkedIn, wherever we're at. Um, we meet all these great people like Melissa and we, we've got to learn together because this is a brand new field and built on the bones of other things we've done. It's, it's just very new. So we want yeah. to take us, take us home here. I was going to say, sorry yeah. about that. I, I agree with you, Dave. I mean, just out to the community. I love talking to people. I love yeah. learning. I love sharing experiences. I love picking each other's brains. I wish we could get in a in a room or in a bar and have a beer and, oh, yeah. and talk about these things. Um, someday <laughs> we will. But in the meantime, you know, um, reach out, stay connected. And uh, thank you guys both for, for having me and, and keeping up with these podcasts, because like I said, they're so, so valuable for people that are um, doing the hard things, right. Building these programs yeah. and growing their programs. So well, great concuss, yeah. Thank you for, for coming on. It was so great to, to have you and uh, to, to make us all feel like MVPs today. Yeah, I had to have to get the room shot in. No, but that perfect, perfect transition into finding the others and, and coming together as a community. Uh, so if you listeners want to learn more, we have a podcast website at customer.education. That's the full URL. Uh, you can find show notes, transcripts, other material, goodies, uh, other stuff. Great. Uh, and if you found in this podcast uh, value, then please share with your friends, your peers, your network, so that we can help find the others as well. Uh, on Twitter, I uh, like to generally tweet nonsense at, at Avramescu. Cool, I'm at Dave Dainton. Melissa, do you have a Twitterverse account? Do, but I don't really use Twitter that much. <laughs> we're all, we're all on LinkedIn. I don't even know why we say our Twitter handles. Like, we're all on LinkedIn, habit. that's where people find us. Yeah. Uh, thanks. <laughs> Okay, everyone, everyone connect on LinkedIn. Thanks to Alan Coda for providing our theme music. 
Uh, we know many of you are subscribed already, so thank you for doing that. But uh, if you haven't yet, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think and share our little show with the rest of the world. And to our audience, thanks for joining us. Go out and educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks for listening.